Exodus 15, verse 1. I am going to sing, well, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read the song for you. So just listen to it through. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. And I'll just point out right here at this point as they're singing the song that they could see the corpses of the Egyptian army rolling up on the shore. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Verse six, your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the excellence of your, in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Oh, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. And then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over, over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we praise you and worship you this morning. Praising and worshiping the same God, the one and the same Lord, the one Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who saved the people at the Red Sea. We worship and praise the same God this morning. We extol you, Lord. We exalt you. We lift you up. We come before you this morning. We gather on this hillside and, and live stream, Father, this morning in worship of your holy name in praise to the name of Jesus. Our hearts, Lord, need to praise you. Like the air that we breathe, we need to worship you. And I pray this morning, Lord, you will move in our hearts and move in this place, that your spirit would be felt by all, and that we would know the presence of I am, just as the people on the shores, the, <laughs> the eastern shores of the Red Sea knew you as I am. Lord, we worship you today. We ask you would take us through this song and enlighten us and, and bring revelation to our hearts and understanding to our minds and, Lord, action to our physical selves that we might live for you. Father, these are strange times. 
None of us, none of us expected, but you saw them coming. And I just pray for encouragement, comfort, strength, and a wherewithal to continue forward in the name of the Lord in these days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Psalm 98 verse one says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. There is always a reason to sing new songs to the Lord. There's always a reason to praise him. It's one of the great immediate blessings of living in a relationship with Jesus is that regardless of life circumstance, we can rest assured he is exalted and his purposes will not fail. Now, it's, it's been easy in seasons past for us to hear things like that and go, oh yeah, praise the Lord. It's a little different when we're facing the kind of things we're facing right now, isn't it? To say, you can praise the Lord at any time. If the job shuts down, you can praise the Lord. If things go sideways, you can praise the Lord. If you are isolated from friends and family, you can praise the Lord because you can know his purposes are being and will be accomplished. We can praise him at all times. And if you're doubtful on that, think about Jeremiah looking down on a devastated, smoldering Jerusalem when he wrote in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of of the Lord. That's what Jake was saying at communion. Man, there are times when it's just good for us to put a hand over our mouth and wait for the Lord to move, wait for the Lord to act. Because so often when I speak out ahead of the Lord, (laughs) when I try to speak for the Lord or, or get in the way of the Lord with my own mouth, I end up looking rather foolish. The Lord is moving and we wait silently for him. And if you can't wait in silence, well, by all means, wait in song. If you can't keep still, sing. It's a paradigm shift for the personally stressed to be able to sing praises to God, be still, and begin singing. Cease striving and start praising. Like Paul and Silas, as they were in prison. You probably are familiar with the story. They had been struck with many blows. Acts chapter 6, verse 23 They were thrown into prison. The commanding jailer was set to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's what people do when you sing praise, when you should be wallowing in misery. When you should be complaining and whining and groaning and mumbling and grumbling, but you sing praise anyway, people listen. They pay attention to that. Suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And it reminds me of that great praise song done by the Imperials back in 1979, Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. 
praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you. They drop powerless behind you when you praise the Lord. There is such power in worship. In our chapter this morning, in the Exodus, the entire entourage of Israel stood safe and dry on the eastern shore of the Red Sea when suddenly Moses burst into song. And we're told the whole congregation of Israel sang along. This is the same Moses, by the way, who the day before was vilified and accused of bringing the people out to the wilderness to die. They were all on his case the day before. Now, as he begins to sing, he becomes the worship leader, and they all join in. It's kind of like a musical, you know, and we all accept it as actually happening that, you know, Maria von Trapp starts to sing, and the kids start singing, and they all just know the words. How does that work? I don't know how it works here. I don't know if Moses sang it once through and said, now here are the words. I don't know if he passed out lyric sheets, but they all began to worship the Lord and song together they sang to the Lord. My, how different things look on the other side of the sea. When you actually get through the mess, when you walk through the walls of water, trembling and terrified should those walls collapse on you, but you come to the other side and you begin to just praise the Lord and worship him, how different things look. Listen to this, Psalm 106, verse 7 says, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. That's when they were calling down Moses. You brought us out here to die, they said. Weren't there tombs enough in Egypt that you bring us out here to die? And then it says in verse 8, nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name that he might make his power known. And thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. I said this on Wednesday night, by the way, just pointing it out, the Bible is very clear. They went through a deep sea, not a little shallow six-inch reed sea. The Bible, every time it describes the Red Sea, describes it as depths, as deeps, describes the walls of water going up on either side to the right and to the left of the children of Israel. It does not describe a little shallowy, mossy swamp. It was the Red Sea they went through, according to this word of truth. And so he says, he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. And then they believed his words and they sang his praise. See, now they're on the eastern shore. And now they realize all the miracles, the wonders of God in Egypt. Now he's performed again through the sea. And they begin to worship and praise and sing to him. And verse 13 says, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And we won't even be out of chapter 15 before they start to forget. You look at the children of Israel, and and you say, how could they do this? It's very simple. They stopped singing. They stopped worshiping. They forgot the lyrics. They forgot the melody. They halted the hallelujahs to the Lord God. And don't we do the same thing? 
Oh, when I am worshiping God, faith is the easiest thing in the world. When I am in the midst of praise, I believe everything that his word says. It's when I stop singing that my faith begins to falter. It's when worship is silenced in my daily life that my daily life begins to rise up like walls of water, like a sea. Brothers and sisters, keep singing. No matter the circumstance, no matter the depth of the sea or the chariots of the enemy, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in your life. Praise him from morning to noon to night. Worship him because you can't worship and worry at the same time. It just doesn't work. Can't praise and panic. (laughs) It's hard to sing while you're stewing in strife. As the Lord said to Moses back in chapter 14, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. So that's always God's answer. We stand there and whine. He says, take a walk. Let's go. Keep moving. Whining and crying and grumbling and complaining will only drown you in sorrow. The enemy knows this, which is why that's such a temptation in our lives. Sing to the Lord and faith will rise up above the waves. That's just your introduction. Let's look at the song. Verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. This is the first song that's written out in the Bible. First time we have an entire song, the lyrics written is right here in Exodus 15. It's called the Song of Moses, and it will be sung again. But what makes this song great is the entire focus of this praise song. Get this. It is the nature and the works of Yahweh. It is all about I am. It is not about the experience of the people of Israel. It is about what God has done and primarily about who God is. So this morning as we go through it, I want to give you seven praiseworthy traits of God, seven reasons that we can even today be praising him the same way the children of Israel did, seven things to jot down if you're a note taker, and the first three come all together in a single cluster that's super encouraging. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. There you go, strength, song, salvation. Those are the first three. The Lord is my strength. He is my song. He is my salvation. By the way, that same phrase, that same refrain is going to be repeated in two more songs in the scriptures. Psalm 118, verse 14, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. If you can memorize that verse, then every song of worship will lift up your faith. God is my strength when I'm feeling weak. God is my song when my throat is cracking. God is my salvation when I feel lost. We see that in Psalm 118. That's, by the way, when the Jewish exiles are returning from Babylon. They sing that, the Lord is my strength, my song, and my salvation. We know when Messiah returns, when he rises to take David's throne, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength, and my song has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs 
of salvation. I need to hear that. The Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation. See, the truth is, as Rich Mullins once sang several years ago, we are not as strong as we think we are. We are not as strong as we think we are. All it takes is a little virus and a government shutdown, and we start to fall apart. And you know what, folks? I've been amazed over the last four months at the impact of all of this on people, on me personally. I mean, I've gone through it like everybody else. The feelings we have, the days where you just feel a sense of weight and oppression, and then the days where you feel frustrated, and then the days where you look at the government and say, they've got to be twisting us around here. And in the days where you look at the virus and go, can I even go outside? And you worry about masks or no masks and all these things going on. It's remarkable to me how quickly people fall apart. And again, when I say people, I'm one. We are not as strong as we think we are. We are no different than any generation that has come before us unless, unless the Lord is my strength. When I know the Lord is my strength, and by the way, strength there in the Hebrew, it indicates power and might. The Lord is my might. He is my power. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 11, one of my favorite phrases in scripture, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, which is awesome because that means as I grow strong in the Lord, so my joy increases. You can't be, well, you can be weak and sorrowful or you can be strong and joyful. I'm gonna go with strong and joyful. The Lord is my strength. Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse seven, in an even more potent way for you and for me today, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth, North Whidbey Island. You will be my witnesses, why? Because we will have his power indwelling us. And notice, notice it doesn't say the Lord gives me strength. It says the Lord is my strength. His person in me, his spirit upon me, that's my strength. That's what I draw from. And I need that power. Not, not as the exertion of physical strength or intellectual know-how. It's the, it's the spiritual power that comes only of the spirit of the living God. And that spiritual power overwhelms everything else. And by the way, it's not a power that will wear you out. Most power will. Most exertion of strength exhausts you over time. Whether intellectually or physically, as we, as we use the strength that we have, it wears us down, it tires us out. But the strength that is the Lord never wears you out. The strength that is the Lord strengthens you even more as you walk in it, empowers you more. You ever see Jesus pass out after doing a miracle? I mean, whoa, he's really drained now. I love the verse in scripture when he was walking through uh, the, the town and the people were all pressing in around him. Remember, and the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years thinks if I could just touch him, she grabs a hold of the hem of his garment and Jesus goes, who touched me? And Peter goes, uh, everyone. And, and Jesus says, no, no, I was aware. Luke chapter eight, verse 46. I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now you would think at that moment, well, he's going to need a refill. Someone get him a chocolate pudding cup or something. 
because the Lord has just exhausted power in healing this woman of this 12-year bleed. I felt power go out from me. You know what the next thing Jesus did was? Raise someone from the dead. See, that's power that doesn't decrease. His power is a constant, and as we draw off of that power, we increase in faith, in joy, in strength in our lives. The Lord is my strength, and the Lord is my song. I love that one. The Lord is my song. In the Hebrew, the word is zimrat, and it speaks of striking a chord, like on a lyre or a, or a harp or an electric guitar. It's like a power chord of praise. When he says, the Lord is my song, it's like, bam. He, he's not, not just the subject of my song. He is my song. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 21, he is your praise, and he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Or Psalm 22, verse 3, you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon, or literally inhabit, the praises of Israel. How does God inhabit people's praises? He is our praise. He is our worship. It's, it's as though you can't pull the two apart. That is, his praise and his glory are so connected. And think about what songs do to you. Think about what, what worship does to your soul and to your spirit. Worship inspires. I, I've said this before, it's such a cool dynamic that we worship him and we feel better. We praise him and we grow in faith. He gets the praise and we get these amazing benefits by praising him, especially songs like this one. Psalm, songs like Exodus 15, which are all about the Lord, packed with providential truth, focused on the Lord God. They're not songs about oceans and rainbows, they're songs about Jesus. And the focus is him. They're, it's not even a song about my faith experience. And those songs are fine, but man, we need more songs like this one in the church. Songs that speak of and point to the nature, the name, the character of God himself. Because that's what lifts us up. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord is my salvation. Now get this. Don't separate getting saved from getting to be with him. Because that's the point of getting saved. Salvation isn't for going off to some remote corner of heaven and holding up for eternity. Salvation is about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about being in the presence of Jesus. And by the way, there will be no quarantine in the kingdom. There will only be worship and fellowship around the throne, nearness to Jesus Christ himself. Think of what David says. He says in Psalm 51, 12, coming out of the worst sin situation of his life, coming into repentance and confession, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because salvation is the Lord. The salvation, the joy of, of David's salvation is God's joy. It's the joy of the Lord, which again is our strength. 
And so to the faithful servants in the parable of the talent, Jesus says, Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The Lord is my salvation. You know what my favorite part of the rapture verse is? I'm talking about 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. We've read so many times over the years. My favorite part is not the trumpet sound. My favorite part is not the catching up or the trip itself. My favorite part is verse 17 at the end of the verse where Paul says, so we shall always be with the Lord. The Lord is my salvation. Verse two, continuing. (laughs) This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. And I just need to point out the word extol is not a word we use a lot. How was work today, honey? Well, I got totally extolled. It was great. No, the word extol, this is the verb form of the noun of the same word, and the word is, get this, room, room. If you want to spell it out, it'd be like R-U-W-M, but it sounds just like R-O-O-M, room, and extol, room in the Hebrew is to lift up to lift up. We lift him up. John 12, 32, Jesus said, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now he's talking about the cross, but guess what? Your worship will draw people to Jesus. As you extol Jesus, as you lift up Jesus, people are drawn to that, to that praise and honor of his name. We extol him. And that's what happens when we, when we praise the Lord. When we lift Jesus up, it draws people to him. Why? Because it makes, get this, it makes room for him in the heart. So if you're feeling down and you want more room for Jesus, extol his name, lift him up. Verse three, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. And the next trait that we're gonna look at here carries all the way down through verse 10, and we'll just say the Lord is a soldier. The Lord is a soldier. Your Bible might say man of war. Mine says a warrior. We'll say soldier, verse four. Chariots, uh, Pharaoh's chariots, not Pharaoh's chariots. That's actually a, um, uh, a Mexican dessert that you can pick up, actually. So Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned or literally sunk in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. And I pointed out again, the Bible pairs up. This is the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea. The place of their crossing because we see Pharaoh's army was drowned, sunk in the deeps, in the depths. Skip down to verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. That is obvious what is being talked about there. Look at verse 10. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Have you ever tried to sink in six inches of puddle? So the Bible is clear what we're talking about. They went through the heart of the Red Sea. They went through a deep passage, and that passage poured over and destroyed the army of Pharaoh. But note this. 
In the song, the breathtaking arrogance of those who think they can fight against the Lord, verse 9, the enemy said, and the enemy always says, I will pursue, I will divide, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall be gratified against them, I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them, and that's, that's just enemy talk. Modier points out at this, at this juncture, in this verse, that the Hebrew suddenly changes. And if we were to read it in Hebrew, what we would see is a staccato style of speech, as in the military tendency to bark orders. He says, Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery in his memoirs recalls hearing First World War top brass, quote, talking like fox terriers. Bark, 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 bark. <laughs> and that's how the enemy sounds here. Bark, 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 bark. But his bark is worse than his bite if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. See, that's the thing. All he can do to people who follow Jesus is try to unnerve you. All he can do is shout out things and insert thought patterns into you and say things and throw out words and try and get us to doubt or to fear or to dread. He cannot harm you. Bible says he's been disarmed. The principalities, the rulers, they, they've been disarmed. He's a toothless dog who cannot bite when it comes to afflicting or inflicting harm on believers. Besides the fact the Lord is a soldier. Exodus 14, 14, before they crossed, Moses said, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Psalm 46, 10, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And when you feel like he's not being exalted in America anymore, hey, don't worry. He will be. He will be. And not just on a hillside here at the bridge. He will be exalted throughout the earth. That day's coming, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. He will be exalted. Isaiah 30, verse 15, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you are not willing. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to rest in the truth of the Lord? Can you be silent and let the Lord fight for you? That's a tough one. Because my tendency is to want to speak out you know where this is most difficult? When I think I need to defend my own name, to come to my self-defense, to, to try and stand up against unfair accusation or unfair assumption. Tell you something I've learned in this season, it always gets worse when I make it about me. When I start to take things on myself, oh, life is so hard. Everybody's against me, Lord. And he goes, okay, Elijah. <laughs> I got 7,000 more followers, so chill, man. Check this out. From verses 16 through 17 in this song of worship. Verse 6, actually, sorry. Verse 6 through 17, there are 23 uses of the second person singular, even either as a noun or as a pronoun. This is not just English class. 23 times the words you and your are spoken. Because by verse six, we have an intro of the song, the first few verses, we get to verse six, and it is all you and your. It is all directed Godward. It is directed pointedly to the Lord, about the Lord, because it's the sole activity of the Lord that brings this victory. 
So the song is sung to him. We have a lot of worship songs that are sung about him. And those are fine and they're encouraging. I love when the songs turn to him. Even when the lyrics don't normally say that, I love when we begin to say you instead of him, your instead of his. And that's what this song does. And and that's what causes, I don't know about you, but that's what causes my faith to rise up in worship when I'm worshiping to him, when I'm singing to him, when I'm saying you are awesome, you are great, you are my strength, my song. You are my salvation. You are a soldier as I sing these to him. My heart is so encouraged. Psalm 35, 18 says, I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. Oh, the Lord is a soldier. Now we skipped over a couple verses. Go back to verse six and look at this. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as chaff. The right hand of the Lord, which in the Bible, right hand of the Lord, you Bible students know this always speaks of authority and it speaks of power, and it speaks of none other than Jesus Christ. Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. That doesn't mean that Jesus is off to the right somewhere from God. To sit at his right hand is to be in the position of authority, to stand in the position of power, Hebrews chapter one, verse two, he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I submit to you that Christ Jesus is the soldier of this song. When it says the Lord is a soldier, I believe we're talking about Jesus there. Now, why would you go so far to say that? I understand the right hand thing, but why would you say this is Jesus? Because it's prophetic. In fact, verse three is not what we thought. Verse three that says the Lord is a warrior. The King James, the English Standard Version, they translate it, the Lord is a man of war, and that's a bit closer. But the word warrior, get this, note this, the word warrior in your Bibles is ish in the Hebrew. Man, man, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is a man. That's what they just said in plain, simple Hebrew. The Lord is a man. Now, the indication by Moses, if he even knew what he was saying, was that God is hands-on, engaged in the battle, but we know now what Moses could only prophesy, that the Lord is a man, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We know now, as John wrote in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, that in the middle of the lampstands representing the church, I saw one like a son of man 
clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in in its strength. The Lord is a man, the man Christ Jesus. Sing to him. Sing to Jesus. He is our strength, our song, our salvation, a soldier. And number five, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. Back and look at verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? And that's a three-part sermon right there. Just verse 11. The Lord is awesome above all the gods. The gods? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 5, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, little g. (laughs) He says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Paul is saying, and and the, the song acknowledges who is like you among the gods, Yahweh. There are no gods like him. And so you would say, well, are there other gods? Well, there are principalities. There are rulers. There are powers, the Bible tells us, in the heavenly places. But there is only one sovereign Lord. There's only one true God. And Moses defines his sovereignty in those three ways, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Oh, we could just, again, sit right there in that verse, majestic in holiness. Mottier says, more than an attribute, it is the very thing that constitutes his essential deity. His otherness is his total, perfect, absolute, changeless, and dangerous moral purity. I love that Mottier says that, and he pointed it out. We talked about this several weeks ago, that there is something dangerous about God's purity about his moral perfection, dangerous in that unless we have the blood covering of Jesus, we are in big trouble. We cannot stand in his presence. Cheryl and I were talking about a dear friend the other day who's not a believer, but who is a really, really good person. And you all know them. You all know good people who do good things, they serve in the community, they care about other people, they're just good all the way around, and they're really hard to save because they don't see why they need to be saved. I can tell you right now why all of us need to be saved. None of us are perfect. And unless we are perfect, we cannot be in the presence of God, who is absolute moral purity. And therefore, therefore, He is majestic, he is awesome, and he is dangerous if we are not under the covering of his blood. Revelation chapter four, verse eight, is the cherubim sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All that he is is absolute holiness. He's majestic in holiness. He's awesome 
in praises, verse 11 continues. And that phrase is literally, he is rightly to be feared in praises. Awesome, rightly to be feared. We should fear him. Ever have that sense when you're in the midst of worship that a chill goes up your spine as you realize how awesome, how amazing, how overwhelming he really is? Lovingly feared by those who are saved, frightfully feared by those who are not. Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises. And then he says, note this, working wonders, working wonders or doing something wonderful. And another indication that we're seeing Jesus referred to in here along with the Father, we're seeing the Lord as a man is the fact that the word wonderful here, or if you see it, working wonders, wonders is the verb, or or it's, it's the noun form, pele, wonderful. Isaiah 9, 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. I know there are those who say, I I thought it was wonderful, counselor. Wonderful is not an adjective, it's a noun. His name will be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, but his first name is Wonderful, Pele in the Hebrew, and that's the word that's used right here, speaking of working wonderful, doing wonderfully as is the name of Jesus. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand There he is again. The earth swallowed them, which indicates that right hand of power referring to Jesus caused the earth to swallow. The word literally is engulf Pharaoh's armies. His hand. But don't forget it was the same hand that took the nails. His hand. His right hand. His left hand. His feet took the nails for us. Verse 13, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed in your strength. You have guided them to your holy habitation. Number six in our list, the Lord is my Savior. The Lord is my Savior. In your loving kindness, chesed, get used to the word chesed in the Greek or in the Hebrew. Loving kindness, every time you see it in your Bibles, it's grace. It's grace to the fullest. It is the Hebrew word for absolute, total grace given. In your loving kindness, in your grace, you've led the people whom you have, and there's the other word that always goes with grace, you have redeemed them. Grace is his nature. Redemption is the outflow of that grace. Redemption is what grace must do. Hosea chapter 13, verse 4, I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, even I am the Lord, there is no Savior beside me. Titus 2, 13 says, so we are to be looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Verse 14, The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. And then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They are motionless as stone. We might say deer caught in the headlights. 
<laughs> until your people pass over, O Lord, until your people pass over whom you have purchased. This is such an amazing amalgam of present and future realities. As they sing the song in that present, no doubt word was spreading fast of this supernatural triumph at the Red Sea. No doubt the inhabitants of Philistia were hearing about what happened. You think that news didn't get around? Think people weren't aware in Edom or among the chiefs of Moab what took place there? I guarantee you, no one in those days confused a puddly marshland with that mighty sea. They knew what happened, and they were trembling because of it. And in the future, all of these kingdoms, Philistia, Edom, Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan did, in fact, as the song says, melt away before the Lord. By the time of David's kingdom and then Solomon's kingdom, Israel would inhabit the entire land to the glory of God. But also look at this, the last part of chapter uh, of verse 16. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. Again, an immediate implication and a future implication. Immediately, God had just bought them out of slavery. He purchased his people. He redeemed them. The purchase price to their eyes being the blood of the Passover lamb is that phrase, that word Passover is used twice in verse 16. But the future application is obvious to us. We were in slavery to sin. God bought us out. He redeemed us with the full purchase price of the blood of the lamb, Christ, our Passover and what happens when someone is redeemed today is you pass over. I mean, you truly do pass. It's not the Lord passing over your sin. No, your sin is washed away so that you can then pass over into the kingdom of light. Jesus said in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. Bought by the Lord, we pass over into his presence. And where do the redeemed of God go? Verse 17 tells us, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your holy dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And that's number seven. The Lord is my sanctuary. The Lord is my sanctuary. The same hands that are majestic in power, verse 6, and shattered the enemy, verse 6. Or verse 7, the same hands that stretched out as the earth swallowed them. These same hands now establish his sanctuary. Zechariah chapter 6 actually tells us that he will build the new temple. He'll build the sanctuary in Jerusalem. The hands of Jesus, when he returns, will build that sanctuary. We understand that in this prophecy, a half century later, the temple, his sanctuary, would be built by Solomon. The Jerusalem temple on the mount of his inheritance, Mount Moriah. Why is Mount Moriah the mount of his inheritance? Because there was already a purchase price made on Mount Moriah when Abraham and Isaac went up the mount. And God provided at that time a ram. And there was a purchase paid. And this mount is now the mount 
of inheritance. But there's a greater sanctuary. Yes, there will be a sanctuary built by Jesus. Same mount, same location, same city of Jerusalem when he comes in his glory. But right now, with you and with me, there is a sanctuary built by the hands of the Lord, a greater sanctuary than the temple of Solomon in all of its beauty, a place where the Spirit of the Lord dwells. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And even as I sit here this morning, I am looking out at dozens of sanctuaries. Sanctuaries of the Lord who is your sanctuary. It's amazing how this works. It goes both ways. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know? that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Pause and think about that and ask yourself, how am I treating the temple? How is my body an outward reflection of the inward reality that his Spirit dwells right here? That he is in me, that he indwells me, that I am in this season, I am his sanctuary even as ultimately he will be our sanctuary. In the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, Revelation 22 tells us there was no sanctuary there for the Lord and the Lamb are the sanctuary. And so the song of Moses concludes for us in verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And I love how the song begins with the exaltation of the Lord and it ends with his everlasting reign. We exalt him on the front end. His reign is eternal, is everlasting. On the back end, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 19, for the horses of Pharaoh as a a postscript with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea on them, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. This song was sung of everlasting praise, extolling the name of the Lord, and then the prophetess Miriam and the praisettes, they get their praise on in verse 19, or verse 20. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing, Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. And so they praised him and they worshiped him on that eastern shore. And I put it to you this morning, wouldn't it have been better if they had sung this song on the western shore? That is before the sea parted. Rather than crying and whining and fearful, wouldn't it have been better if they had just broke into a big praise chorus right then and there? It would have changed the entire dynamic. Oh, not for what God was going to do. Maybe not even for the Egyptians, but for the heart of every Israelite. It would have been a very different experience walking through the channel of the Red Sea if they had worshiped first. Maybe they were too young, and we can cut them some slack. They're young in their faith. They're young in their understanding of the I am of Yahweh to realize they even had the option to sing ahead of time. But what about you? And what about me? Can we not, do we not know him well enough 
Do we not know at this point in history enough to be worshiping now on this side of the sea? The Bible says we're not destined for wrath, but for salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great promise. But I'll tell you, though, we won't go through the wrath of God. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through the Red Sea as we are in this season. And I don't want to discourage anyone, but don't assume it's just going to go away and everything's going to get better and the world will return to normal. There's no such thing. We are going to continue forward. And if I read Scripture correctly, what I see is the sea is going to be more imposing. The dangers ahead are worse than anything we have seen. That's where we're headed. How will we face it when we are backed up and penned in at the Red Sea before us? When God keeps saying, tell the children to go forward. Just tell the children to go forward. Where? Into the sea? Yes. Why? I got it. You don't have to even know how. There wasn't a single person on that western shore who had any idea what was about to happen. Nobody who thought, well, you know, maybe if we take a step, he'll part the sea for us. That was a crazy notion no one would have thought. God knew. I love when God gets crazy. (laughs) By our standards. When he does his thing, he knew. Just go forward. And if they were able to worship then, they could have sung all the way through the sea. That's the challenge for us. Are we going to whine through the sea or are we going to sing through the sea? Now, God's going to bring you through by faith in Jesus Christ. Even if it's a tiny little kernel of a mustard seed, he's going to get you through the sea. The question is, what's your experience going to be? Am I going to enjoy the walk? That picture I know I've mentioned many times of the little girl walking beside her dad, walking through the Red Sea. It's a painting in my old family Bible back home. And she's pointing and smiling, and the kids are amazed because there's whales swimming by in the walls of water. Just, wow, fascinated. I bet that while there was enough faith to walk, there was an awful lot of trepidation among the people of Israel as they went through, looking at this thing. (laughs) We're going to get there and watching, and the closer they got, the more, should we just run now? I wonder if some did. You know, they got within 100 yards of the end of that pathway and just took off running. Gotta get out of here. Man, praise the Lord. Enjoy the walk through the depths of the sea. That's faith. And when you do, faith rises. Faith increases. By the way, I said before, this is not the last time that the song of Moses is sung in the Scripture. It's actually the first composition of a two-part opus of praise. And the second part will be sung at the end of this age, not at the Red Sea, but at another sea. Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God. Well, we just studied the song of Moses, so we know what they're going to sing. Actually, let me put it this way. We know what we are going to sing. 
Song of Moses. You can start practicing now. I mean, just learn the lyrics. Put whatever tune you want to to it. But learn the lyrics because you're going to be singing this song at a day yet future. The song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. What's the song of the Lamb? It's Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. You can go back and look at that. Because we're told there they sang the song of the Lamb. Now the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb will be sung together will be finally put together as I believe always intended and they will say, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you and your righteous acts have been revealed. You know what these two refrains, Song of Moses, Song of the Lamb, have in common? They're both redemption songs. And that's the point. God redeemed the people of Egypt. He has redeemed you and redeemed me so that we can sing praises to the Lord, songs of redemption that are to him and about him and for him, the Lord who is my strength and my song and my salvation. God who is soldier, who became a man, the sovereign and the savior and our sanctuary. And as I said before, the church needs more songs like this one. Less songs about us, more songs about him. I'm so, so thankful we landed on this chapter today. I've done a lot of thinking about this morning. And I didn't know where we would land in Scripture. I was going to do, my plan, Les knows this, was to do chapter 15 on Wednesday night. I was going to cram it in. And it was just too much. I just had too much other information for the previous chapter. So I had to pause and go, I guess we'll do chapter 15 on Sunday. And then I started to get into it. Wow. Praise the Lord. I love that we're all out here on this hillside. I love looking up at you. You don't, maybe you don't know this, but almost 17 years ago when we began this little fellowship. I remember looking for a place before we even knew we had a barn to meet in. It was before I had met Rod and Barb Gilmore. I didn't know about their property. And driving around North Whidbey Island and driving up and down Troxel, and I, I at, clearly I had a vision at that time of people gathered, not with masks, so it's not an exact vision, but of people gathered in a field and worshiping God in a field. And truly, it was a field, what I saw at the time was a field right off of Troxel Road, one of these 10 or 20-acre parcels. I had no idea we were going to end up buying one, much less putting up a, a building that we can't even be inside right now. <laughs> but to, to see you all and to be out here praising and worshiping the Lord, what a great place to land. And so you have a choice. You see, we can, we can wait and we can praise him later while the sea of humanity causes our anxiety to rise or you can praise the Lord now. And then, on this side and on that side of the sea, and if you do that, your faith will rise. Father, we worship you this morning and we praise you. We thank you for this song, so encouraging. So uplifting and so faith-building, Father, because it's about you. 
And I know, Lord, when I pray about me is usually when I'm the most anxious. When my prayers are all focused and self-centered, uh, that's when I'm crying and I'm fearful and I'm, and I'm grumbling. When my prayers are about you, everything changes. And so, Lord, we acknowledge you today. Lord Jesus, you are our strength. You are the Lord, our song. You are our salvation. The soldier in human flesh who dwelt among us, you are the sovereign God. You are Savior, and my God, you are sanctuary. And we run to you, and we glorify you, and we praise your name this morning. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.